Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on a very special Legion Clubhouse, we find out what happened to all the black people. Superboy number 216, The Hero Who Hated the Legion. Published April 1976, written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grail. Synopsis, learn the terrible secret of Tyrock. Superboy 216, it is an issue. Yeah. It is an issue, that's for sure, and it also has a lot of issues this is the book and i think we've probably referenced it half a dozen times now mm -hmm. this is the book this is one of the earliest legion stories that i was ever aware of but this is the book that really kind of defines i think the failures of the the bronze h legion this is the book that really shows off that no matter how much they're trying to do a book about hip young kids in an inclusive future it's being written and it's being edited and it's being created by a bunch of you know old caucasian dudes in 1976 yeah it's really interesting because this is the introduction of tyrock and mm -hmm. it's uh, tyrock as a character is somewhat controversial in places uh, the history of what happened to all of the black people on Earth is super problematic. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Tyrock is kind of an important character for the black community in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. He's, he's important to the Legion. He's important to D.C. And yeah. in, I, I try to remember uh, something that someone once said online about embarrassing characters like Tyrock or... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Luke Cage and his Jive Turkey incarnation, they tried. It yeah. was an attempt. And in this case, for all the unfortunate implications, I truly and honestly believe that it was an, an attempt that had good intentions behind it. Sure. If we go back and look, now this isn't an exhaustive list, uh, but if we go back and look at black heroes in comics, the mm -hmm. first one is Lobo 1965 from, what is that, Dell Comics? Del Comics. He's the first headliner. There were a few here and there before that, mm -hmm. but Lobo is the first headlining black hero to have his own comic. Right. And we're not, I'm here, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from like the sidekicks, like, um, right. what's his name? The magician's sidekick. Uh, yeah. you know, those. Uh, oh, you, yeah. Your ebony whites. And yeah, your yeah, Lothars. yeah. I mean, but if do you go have... back to 47, there was uh, an issue of All Negro Comics, which mm -hmm. was done entirely so, by black creators. Yeah, black so that creators. one's a little bit different, right? The The history of All Black Comics is really fascinating. I don't think it's something we have enough time to talk about here, but it was mm -hmm. essentially, even in, in, at that time period, 
we don't see representation of ourselves in comics, so we're going to do this. And yep. that comic was super, super popular in its community. It was not something that would have been distributed by a regular distribution company uh, simply because it was run, uh, created, run, and featuring, uh, you know, black characters. Uh, but, yeah, I, we really don't have time to go into it right now. But if anyone wants to, go look it up, the history of that, because yeah. it's, it's super, super fascinating. Uh, we had, when we talk about the big two breaking the color barrier, mm-hmm. Black Panther 1966... Yep, that's Kirby. Right. Kirby and, and Lee. And, and of course, Kirby continues to do that when he does go over to D.C. with the introduction of Flipper Dipper and the Black mm-hmm. Racer. But I'm not, I put little asterisks by those because I don't think those two really count. Uh, they were more sidekick characters or uh, recurring characters, but not main yeah. or central characters. It wasn't until 1971 when John Stewart Green Lantern steps up. Mm-hmm. And in an, in an interview, um, Neil Adams... Uh, recounts that he went to Julie Schwartz and said, hey, we ought to have a black Green Lantern, not because we're liberals, but because it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Luke Cage over there, uh, back, going back over to Marvel, uh, like you mentioned, 1972, Blade, 1973, Bronze Tiger, 1975, mm-hmm. and then yep. Tyrock in 1976. So when you look at like headliners, Lobo, Black Panther, uh, Green Lantern, Luke Cage, Blade, Bronze Tiger, and Tyrock, that's like five characters, five black main characters yep. that people have prior to 1976. And do you notice do, that even even though we have black characters, none of them are women. No, 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 no. <laughs> but that's that's another story. We'll get to that story too. Well, we've had that we've had that uh, that story or that conversation in bits and pieces with Shadowlass, right? And yep. and how she was supposed to be, I believe, an orig- originally supposed to be a black character, but they were like, oh heck no, we can't do that. That'll hurt our circulation. And so they changed her to blue. Do you know how many black Oscar winners there were prior to 1976? Uh, I'm going to say one because I can only think of Hattie McDaniel. Okay, so Hattie McDaniel was the first, 1940, for um, uh, Gone with the Wind for Best Supporting Actress. Then there's mm-hmm. Sidney Sid- Poitier in 1964 for mm-hmm. uh, Lilies in the Field. And then the third one, 1972, Isaac Hayes for uh, the theme song from Shaft. Mm. So, so three. Yeah, so yeah. three. So you can imagine by 1976, Tyrock rolls around and we find out why there really haven't been any black members of the Legion of Superheroes. In fact, one of our one of our listeners, uh, Mark, wrote in and he said, hey, I know you are very close to reviewing Superboy 216, the intro to Tyrock. I wanted to provide a perspective of someone who's black and read the first issue when it came out in 1976. I know the review is going to be brutal, but you should take into account the perspective of those of us uh, who that character's first appearance was monumental. At the point, I'd never seen a character that looked like me in comics. I was nine. And to be honest, though things were integrated, the depictions of every black person living separately wasn't too different from real-life America. Segregation was ended, but it still existed socially. Tyrock's powers were hokey, and I'm sorry, Mr. Grill intentionally drew his costume as crazy as possible, but his appearance and later membership in the Legion was one of the best things I ever read back then. No doubt, looking at it now, in current times, the story's not good, probably worse than that. But that doesn't change its impact on me even now. Tyrock was a smart, strong leader who didn't sound or seem like a television stereotype. He looked and sounded like everyone I knew. And to be honest, his questions about why the Legion had never helped them could be directly attributed to real-life black communities back then, and in many cases continue to this day. I don't know if you'll consider 
this when you do your review, but I thought it important to offer you a perspective you really may not be able to understand. I'm sorry uh, so many think of Tyrak as a joke, but no matter how history judges the character in DC, his creation was important. And that's why I wanted to, and that's for Mark. Thank you, Mark, for writing into the to us. Uh, we certainly appreciate that. And that's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about black heroes in comics, the uh, black representation Oscar winners. Even today, I think there's probably less than a dozen or right at a dozen people who have won uh, Oscars, mostly for music. Mm-hmm. But you're right. When you see Orhura on the set of uh, The Enterprise, yep. that is important to people. Uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, I, I do kind of know where Mark is coming from because, uh, we have a racially mixed house at, at my house. And so when a show like Fresh Off the Boat or Kim's Convenience comes on and it's a huge hit, I can see in the rest of my family how they react to that. They pay attention to it. They say something and they're like, oh, that is like our family, or that is like somebody that I know, or I can identify with this more. So right. I really understand where people are coming from when they see Black Panther or Jon Stewart or Luke Cage or even Tyrock in comic books and how that's a big deal for them. Yes. And I would like to say, first of all, that as a kid, when I first read uh, about Tyrock in the Legion uh, tabloid, which we'll be getting to in a few weeks, he was the character that I want to know the most about. I, for some reason... Love the Grail costume, especially oh, really? the boots. I do. You can tell me that it's terrible and awful. Love that costume. Well, Love it to death. It is, what is it supposed to be? A mix of Elvis versus Street Pimp, which I think was, I think that's yeah. where Grail messes up. When he says, yeah, I took a little bit of the flamboyance of 70s Elvis, you know, Vegas Elvis. And then mm-hmm. I mixed it with a Street Pimp. And it's like, okay, that was the part where you probably should not have, have said that. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. Uh, Grell was irritated because, as we spoke of earlier, he wasn't allowed to make the character Soldier in a previous mm-hmm. issue a black character mm-hmm. and was told by editor Murray Boltonoff that we've got a black legionnaire in the works. And then when they brought him the Tyrock concept, he was upset about it. He, he felt like the name was a problem. I think his exact quote was, they might as well call him Tyrone. They gave him the stupidest superpower in the world in Grell's in uh, theory and position. And I get that. I understand what Grell was doing, but I also look at the first page of issue 216 with Tyrock standing there in his majesty, and I'm like, I love that costume, especially contrasted against similarly naked Grell costumes of this period. It's more balanced than Cosmic Boys. It's more together than Colossal Boys. I love it, and I feel like Tyrock as a character is very, very important and also very ill-served, not just by the creators, but by the story itself here. Yeah, you know, I guess the I really don't have a problem with the costume itself. Uh, I think other people might. They might look at it and say, okay, well, there's chains on there. Certainly that's representational. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the the fact that it's a white costume on black, that could, that could say a whole lot about what's going on in here. Uh, as far as Tyrock's superpowers go... They're not really fully explained in this issue. I'm sorry. He makes a lot of sounds. So so nebulous as to be unlimited. Basically, his power is magical vocal effects that do different things. And Keith Giffen said that part of the reason he didn't want to bring back Tyrock was because he didn't know how to draw sounds. Hmm. It's hard to draw a character whose power is based on sound. And we see that in this issue 
when he first appears, there's this huge sound effect. Or ea or something. Yeah. And all of these things show up and you're like, what? The same thing happens, uh, you know, with Banshee in the X-Men, where you see Banshee yeah. is supposed to be screaming, but he's also talking. Right. How do you do both? Uh, obviously, it's sub-vocalization. It's hard to do the sound powers in a purely visual medium. We're going to talk about some sound powers here in just a little bit. But the other thing that is... So here's the deal. There's a satellite that has crashed to Earth that contains all of these jewels that were stolen in sometime around 2117, <laughs> uh, according to, to this thing. And according to Cosmic Boy, who is very naked. Yes, they they stashed the jewels in this satellite, and they were going to retrieve it a couple of weeks later, but then they got captured, and they figured out that they could just uh, wait until they got out of jail or prison or whatever. But satellites fall from orbit, and uh, this satellite has fallen, and we learned that it has fallen on the island of uh, Marzla, Marzal. 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 And we are told everything about this island from a passing tourist vessel. <laughs> that explains well, that, hey, at one point, all the black people just went and formed their own island community and they told everyone else to stay out and they didn't want they didn't want government uh, help or anything like that. So they've been isolated for all these years and nobody is allowed on the island except for Marzalians. Marzalians, yeah. Which, and on the one hand... You, you can look it. at you, you can, can look at things going. Yeah, you can look at something that's going on right now in society, and you could say, you know what? I'm so fed up with all this crap right now. Why don't we all leave and go and do something on our own, and we don't have to deal with these crazy white people anymore? <laughs> on the other hand, there is a whole lot of the the whole you know comments that are being made by whoever's on this uh, tourist vessel feels very much and, and forgive the phrase the go back to Africa kind of mentality, right? And I think that. I think that's a, a consequence. That's definitely an unintended, I hope it's an unintended thing. But if you look at it from an editorial perspective, if you look at it from the perspective of someone who thinks they're being neutral and answering the question of why have we never seen these characters? Why have we never seen African-Americans or black people in the Legion? Here's the explanation why. And it's no dumber on its face and its construction than any other of the silly explanations that we've gotten from Shooter or Bates or Hamilton or anybody else about here's this weird world of the future. The problem comes in with the implications of it that, you know, you clearly pointed out and also the implications that say later on in this story, Tyrock is mad. He's like, why doesn't the Legion ever help us out? When they clearly state that Marzal basically stays away from EarthGov and the UP and the Legion and says, stay off our island. We don't want anything to do with you. We're self-sufficient. To immediately turn around and say, why don't you help us enough? Mm -hmm. Again, I feel like his un an unintended implication of this story is that Tyrock especially, but Marzal as a civilization, wants to have it both ways. They want nothing from the UP except what they want, and they're not going to give anything back. And it's a very, very difficult proposition. It's a, it's a difficult yeah. story point that they clearly didn't think through when they put this together. Yeah, and then there's also the the attitude, right? And and fortunately, at this point, Tyrock is not jive talking, right? We don't have to deal with any of that, so that is is good. But at the same time, the entire society is again uh, somewhat another stereotype of angry black man who 
is angry with the man, right? Because the legion to him represents the man. And he's like, uh, all of my citizens shun these, these people that have come to, into our community, send them packing. And it's not until, you know, Tyrock gets in trouble and the legion help. And they're like, look, we don't really care about the color of your skin. We just are here, here to help people in need. And I'm sorry that you feel like we have let you down. We didn't mean to do that. Hopefully we can overcome that, that you, you start to, to see kind of both sides of the story or both sides of the perspective on how society has treated the Marzalians as well as how Marzal uh, perceives the rest of the world. Yeah. And unfortunately, the argument that they make about the Legion not seeing color or not worrying about color oh, is man. in itself incredibly racist. Oh, incredibly racist. Because at the end, because, you know, as Superman uh, is trying to talk to Tyrock and saying, look, we really don't see, and as he says, quote, when it comes to race, we're colorblind. And then Shadowlass pipes up and says, blue skin, yellow skin, grease skin, we're brothers and sisters united in the name of justice everywhere. And unfortunately, yeah. Karate Kid is standing right there when she's talking yes. about the yellow they, skin. Yes, clearly Karate Kid being half Japanese is what they mean by yellow skin. And that's it's just that's, like, oh, my God, it's like, OK, one bad. step forward and then two steps back. It's, it's like, a really, really gross moment, made even more gross by the fact that the coloring of yeah. this issue has Superboy and Karate Kid exactly the same shade. Right. So not only do they make a, a, a really, really facile and vaguely racist argument, actually openly racist argument. I mean, technically, they make it's... it with art that actually undercuts the whole thing. Oh, I'll be honest. When I was just reading through here, and I was like, blue skin, yellow skin, green skin, and I scanned across the panel, I'm like, okay, Shadow Last, Brainiac Five, okay, and then I'm like, oh no, oh they, oh they didn't just do that, did they? And this shows. So going back to what Mark had written in. Mm -hmm. for a person of color seeing themselves in the pages of a comic book or a representation of themselves in the pages of a comic book is really important. When mm -hmm. we see Karate Kid get introduced and we finally confirm that, you know, he's half Asian, that's a really big deal for, uh, you know, Asian, the Asian community. When we see uh, Grell stepping forward and saying, yes, I'm intentionally starting to model him after Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. that again is making it so that people are able to see themselves in these characters to tackle a character like Tyrock and say, yeah, we have a race relations problem at DC Comics and we're trying to fix it and here's our answer to this and everyone's like, oh, that's pretty good. And then to intentionally throw in, or maybe unintentionally, throw in uh, two or three big, you know, pull your per, pull your shot, shirt collar away and go, moments mm -hmm. is, is really kind of an oof moment that kind of undercuts, I think, what they're trying to do in this entire story. Absolutely. Sensitivity readers did not exist in 1976. No, but and again, this issue is such screaming a time. out for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, such a different time, right? Uh, and, and as Mark said, even though segregation had been outlawed, socially, it was still segre segregated society. So it's, and this is, I mean, I understand where Mark is coming from, and I understand where a lot of other people are coming from mm -hmm. in this. And I and I agree, this is a bad story. But I also see why it is important for people. But oh, it's, this it's oh, it's bad in so many so many ways. But it's a good looking story. I mean, there's yeah, a yeah, shot yeah. Sure. where Tyrock comes swinging out of the sky, and he's like and breaking even if you're his silly, back. And look at his costume, and you're like, oh, what a silly costume with the Elvis collar and the pixie boots. But man, he looks cool. 
Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And throughout the issue, he's clearly modeled on Fred Williamson, uh, who played Hammer in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From that's, like what I was trying to, that's what I was trying to figure out who he might have been modeling that on. Absolutely, Fred Williamson, which is, you know, really pretty great. And his Fred Williamson is as solid as his uh, Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you get to the end of the story, I do like one thing. Which is? And I don't know if this is my own sensitivity talking, and maybe it's something that actually isn't cool, but Karate Kid and Tyrock shake hands, and they do the cool handshake. Right. Like, and again, like, that's, yeah. and that's why I'm like, Tyrock's not jive talking yet, and I'm hoping that they don't going forward. Well, the good news is, to my memory, Tyrock, Troy Stewart, never jive talks. Okay, good. However... Okay. He also only appears about a dozen times between now and 1990. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to keep in mind. I, I wonder, yep. Matthew, I wonder, I just wonder, and we're going to have to look for this in future future letters pages. <laughs> I'm going to bet that DC was flooded with letters from people who were claiming that this issue is nothing more than SJW Black Lives Matter propaganda. No. You think? No. That's stupid. Hmm. Anyone who would say that is stupid. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? All comics, all art is political. All comics yep. are political. This yes. is a this is a political comic. And you're gonna either appreciate it for what it is, which again is attempting to take down that color barrier, uh, or you're going to look at it as uh social justice warrioring, Black Lives Matter, and you're gonna see this as just DC trying to, you know, court the liberal reader. In no. which case, yeah, you're probably wrong. As someone who spends a lot of time on the internet reading, um, let's call them listicles, I will tell you that Tyrock shows up a lot in lists that I like to call the lol fail list. I see that, That's the thing. I can see Bouncing Boy as a lol mm-hmm. fail, right? I can look at someone like Arm Fall Off Boy, who really was never even a member, as right. Arm a, Fall a Off Boy fail. is intentionally designed it's to, supposed be to be a, joke. a yeah. funny character. Yeah. Uh, I could look at someone maybe even like, maybe even Matter Eater Lad. I could kind of maybe see that as a lol fail kind of character, even though it's really not. But Tyrock, I really don't see that as a failed character. I mean, well, if, if if someone's going to say that Tyrock is a failed character, then what about Jericho? What about Banshee? What about any other character who uses the same power set that Tyrock has? Do they also fall on those lists? No, but, you know, they're also not, you know, people who have uh, been memefied into stupidity. True, true. You know. Yeah. So you see Tyrock fall on those lists a lot then? You'll see him. He's not, he doesn't show up as often as, say, Doug Ramsey, uh, but he does show up. And the thing that's interesting about it is nobody seems to have actually read the stories that he's in. Mm. They heard a guy say and are repeating what they heard a guy say who probably heard another guy say it. So yeah, I don't believe this is a good story. I think that the art is phenomenal. I think that Tyrock is a character who never really got his just desserts, but I also feel like if you're judging 216 by the standards of 1976, you have to give it at least a few points for, oh, you sure. know, for trying, for putting sure, in the definitely, effort, definitely for three. really going and, and saying, we're going to address this. In a way that they absolutely shouldn't have, but in a way that, you know, at least they were trying to do something. They were trying to give us something for our buck. Yeah, I'd give it three out of five.
The Private Lives of Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel, 1 plus 1 equals 3. Published April 1976, written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis, what use is a hero with no powers? Speaking of three out of five, one plus one equals three. What kind of things are they teaching kids in the future, Matthew? <laughs> well, they're teaching kids that when you and your wife and your other wife go out for a walk and you're uh, in, in ensemble inspired by that episode of Star Trek where the girl was super, super naked, uh, look out for the guys in the skull jackets, I think. Yeah, even in the future, you can tell which uh, people are are part of the bad biker gang because they all have like skulls or something and they have the 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 leather jackets with the flipped up collars and they got yep, the greasy hair the no good kids man they're That's, the no good kids so apparently a bouncing boy when he was a legion member had put uh, some of these kids in the juvie hall and now they're out and they want to attack and mm-hmm. uh, take bouncing boy out so he and and uh, duo damsel uh, are out on their evening constitutional when they are attacked by these thugs. Thugs, a bunch of thugs in leather jackets. And since Bouncing Boy has lost his powers at this point, um, he can't use his powers to defend himself. And his wife has to defend him. And man, it's 1976. I mean, at least Bouncing Boy tries to use some racquetballs to take out the bad guys. But ultimately, it's his wife that takes out the bad guys. He actually does okay with the racquetballs. In fact, they explicitly call out for, I think, the first time how his power may be gone, but he's still a master of ricochets and trajectories, which actually, if you look at the the reboot, Chuck Tane, who was never a Legionnaire, Mm -hmm. that actually becomes the basis of his character. He is an engineer, and he's really, really good at that trigonometry and geometry stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Matter Eater Lad is the uh, is the cook for the team. So there you He's go. He's the chef. That's right. the The problem is <laughs> there's so many problems with this issue. What's the other big <laughs> thing going on in the nineteen uh, late nineteen sixties, early seventies, Matthew? Uh, women's liberation. Women's liberation, where women are equal to men, and of course we all believe that, and that they should earn the same amount of money, and that they can do everything a man can do. Uh, but this issue really again takes a couple steps back. When Chuck is uh, says, "Thanks for making me feel like half a man." Essentially, <laughs> Chuck, uh, you're, you know, you're two men by volume, maybe two and a half. In, in the fact that his wife had to save him, or the fact that there's two of them, he feels uh, emasculated because his his wife, or at least that's the unintended message, is that he feels emasculated because a girl had to come and save him. Uh, yeah, I don't like that, but he also does come to terms with it. I mean, oh, sure, because he's like, hey, I got two wives. What do I care? (laughs) You know, it's a thing. It's a it's a thing. He's trying. He's he's giving it a chance. And when his wife is like, oh, I think I've been poisoned and might die. He's still feeling hurt, but he is also trying to figure out what just happened. And he actually figures out that she's been poisoned by one of the rampager gang people. Mm hmm. And, you know, tries to help her the way that she helped him. So, he, you know, his hurt feelings don't last much longer than the realization that she's also hurt and needs his help. Yeah. 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 Overall, a big, important issue for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Not yeah. a good issue in hindsight. But I want to again, I want to thank Mark for writing, uh, reaching out to us. And if you have yeah. any comments or questions that you'd like for us to read on the show or to consider in upcoming episodes, certainly you kind of get the idea of what uh, comics we are, are uh, reviewing. They're kind of going in order at this point. So if you have some thoughts on future episodes, certainly reach out to us podcast at Majorspoilers.com. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 217, The Charge of the Doomed Legionnaires. Published June 1976. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Will Cosmic War Games doom the Legionnaires? Oh, the Star Trek references, Matthew. The Star Trek references. <laughs> yeah, after last issue getting the uh, the uh, satellite from 2001 A Space Odyssey, we are now officially thrown into the realm of Star Trek because there's a 3D chess board and they're going to a 3D chess sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know if 3D chess actually started on on Star Trek or if it was a thing before Star Trek. It started but, on Star Trek, to my knowledge. People uh, actually tried to reverse engineer the game based on seeing it. So the three-dimensional variants have existed since at least the late 19th century, one of the oldest being Ramshock, invented in 1907 by Ferdinand Mach and considered the classic 3D game. So he founded this in, yeah, so 1907. But uh, yeah, I think most of us look at this as Star Trek. And tri-dimensional, oh, tri-dimensional chess. And so. the thing that I think is fascinating about this issue and that I'd like to address for just a moment is we start out on a trip to a science police convention with Superboy, Timberwolf, and Shadowlass. And Brainiac 5, don't forget. Well, Brainiac 5, I can And also Colossal Boy. Why would this group of legionnaires want to go to a science police convention? I mean, I'm not saying they're dunderheads. Maybe they have to give a presentation, you know, because, you know, the... They have to get some hours in the in the lab in order to... Well, no, I, I don't know if it's... I, I think it is one of those in special presentation by, you know, the, the keynote speech is going to be by the Legion of Superheroes talking about how while, and I'm sure it's just a big uh, PR stunt because the the UP, the United Federation of Planets, is telling uh, the Legion, hey, we're paying your fees, but also remember there's the science police. Go to this convention and give some rah-rah moments. And so you're going to get, you know, Shadow Lass up there to talk and look pretty, and you're going to have a Brainiac 5 to talk about the knowledge, and then you're going to get Superboy up there who goes, look, look, I know the Legion of Superheroes seems like we do a lot, but the real heroes in this room are you the members of the science police. And I think we should all give you a round of applause. Don't you all think we should give each other a round of applause? Come on, everybody. Everybody stand up and give a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. Science police. Woo. Woo. And then everybody goes away going, oh, my God, that was the best keynote speech I've ever seen in a long time. And then Fred's and over Timber there going. Wolf is yeah, grazing yeah. at the drinks table. Yeah. And, and Fred's like, yeah, that was certainly better than last time. The last guy when we had Commissioner Bob over there giving a speech. You have mighty specific fantasies about the 31st century. <laughs> I want to know. So uh, I think I saw in one of the, the letters columns where mm -hmm. someone wrote in talking about how suddenly now, and I don't know if this is because of Bates and Shooter or just a general direction in writing at DC, how mm -hmm. someone wrote in was saying, hey, the Legion members used to be kind of interchangeable, but now they certainly have personalities. And I really like 
that their personalities are coming out in the pages of, of Superboy here. Mm-hmm. But man, Timberwolf is a big douche. Timberwolf, yeah, he's losing a game of 3D chess to Superboy. He's like, wait, I haven't given you my move. And then he kicks over the table, proving that Timberwolf cheats at three-dimensional chess and does also a bad sport. Well, I mean, he just is Mr. Snark throughout the entire issue where he's like, oh, is everybody okay? He's like, no, I bruised my toe or something like that. Of course, I'm okay. He just he's like a real non-likable character in this story. He's the cocky jerk. He's, you know, he's the Wolverine, uh, the proto Wolverine in all the important ways. He's the character who this is the point where comics start getting away from the complainer is always wrong. Yeah. All of that transitions to Saturday morning cartoons in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But Timberwolf gets to be the jerk. He gets to be the the bad boy. If they had jackets, his would be leather. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure his entire costume is leather. I'm sure it's no. not stretchable fabric. I'm sure it is leather. Stretchable. Hot, stretchable hot stinky leather. All of a sudden, the Kuns attack. The Kuns? Oh, hey, we're the Kun. You may remember us from that time Nemesis Kid was such a jerk back in Adventure 346. Have the Kuns are seen, led by Troy McClure, by the way. Have we seen the Kuns uh, anywhere else beyond, besides the Legion of Superheroes? Have they shown up as bad guys in, quote-unquote, present-day DC stories? Yes, the Kuns were one of the, uh, going back to the invasion in 89, were one of the uh, no, no, no. alliance I'm talking that about, invaded the Earth. I'm talking about 1970. At this oh, point, God, no, this is the second appearance of the Kuns. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, is that the Kuns suddenly become this great, uh, I shouldn't say great, but they become this awesome or large warrior race, uh, always at war with somebody. And then at some point, they're like, oh, these are great future bad guys, but can't we bring them into the 1980s and make them a big part of invasion? <laughs> You guys remember Invasion, the one that has the uh, the the people with the big dots on their heads, who also were introduced in the uh, in in the pages of uh, Legion of Superheroes. All of the members of the Alien Alliance in Invasion mm-hmm. were, in fact, future characters from the Legion. The Dominators, mm-hmm. uh, the Gildishpan, the Kund. Uh, I believe that there were some Daxamites in there. Yes, and I, there was the Scions from the modern day Omega Men stories. Mm-hmm. But they were really trying to open up Cosmic DC and also start to introduce things that had only been seen in the Legion's future, so that these things didn't just suddenly pop up in twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, for the thirtieth century. So that was an intentional move, and that book was partially written by Keith Giffen, mm. who's a huge Legion fan. Yeah. So we do get to see an epic space battle between the Legion of Superheroes Star Trek cruiser and the Coons Bird of Prey. <laughs> da, 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 I mean, seriously, da, 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 it's got the big, da, da. it's got the big muscular wings out on the front and the big, you know, hornet head on the front. It looks like a bird of prey, the Romulan bird of prey. At one point, and I know it's, or I'm sorry, Klingon bird of prey, not Romulan bird of prey. Come on. Uh, at well, one the point, Romulan bird of prey is the one that this looks like. From yeah, yeah, that's the, what I'm saying. From the original series, that's what I'm saying. At at some point, I was really expecting uh, the leader dude to scream out, "From hell's dark heart, I stab at thee!" But then I realized, oh wait, Star Trek the motion picture hasn't even become a thing yet. Yeah, that's from like '82, Wrath of yeah, Khan. Yeah, Wrath of Khan. But Marshall Lorca does at least have that cool hat that looks remarkably like the rear end of several spaceships in Star Trek. So that's kind of nice. Uh, So Superboy has already left the scene. Uh, Mm -hmm. Brainiac 5 has gone to the police planet to go do 3D chess tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Coons are able to get the Legion ship to crash because what's the the, Lorca is is his name? 
Lorca. Lorca is the leader of the Kund uh, force. He wants the Legion spaceship for his own. He wants all the technology that's in there. And they, the remaining Legion members, Shadowlass, Colossal Boy, and uh, Timberwolf, try their best to defend themselves. But then suddenly Brainiac breaks in and is like, hey, you guys, uh, I'm, I'm monitoring the situation from my uh, chess tournament. Thanks for interrupting, by the way. And he's trying to give them advice, but then the Kund is like, Lorca is like, no, block their transmission and let's imitate Brainiac 5's voice and give them false information. And they just go out and then, you know, basically Lorca's like, yes, go and attack. Go and attack the the, the Kund leaders. Yeah. Uh, you'll be able to take them down. And they go out and do it. And the Kunds are like, oh, my God, they're coming at us. Uh, sir, they're coming at us. Sir, they're coming. <laughs> ah! And then there's just a big battle as uh, as they're all taken down. It's a lovely moment because it does show something important about the Legion. Timberwolf, Shadowlass, and Colossal Boy actually say, oh my god, Brainiac 5 is telling us to do something that feels like suicide, but we trust him. Brainiac 5 is our friend. He's the smartest of us. There must be a reason for this. So we're going to do what he says, even though it seems like a stupid plan. Yeah. That's really pretty solid characterization, especially when you get to the point where it actually ends up working because the Legionnaires have such faith in Brainiac that they come flying in like, you know, the, the I don't know, a, a chicken out of a, out of a cannon. Yeah. I'm not good at metaphor. And it actually knocks the Kuns down a peg. They're so frightened at the fact that these three idiots are willing to do this that they actually overcome the attack that could have killed them. It's a kind of a neat moment just in terms of Legion characterization. Meanwhile, Lorca runs into the uh, into the Enterprise hoping to take off or at least grab all of the uh, secret parts to it, not realizing that the attack on the ship caused the... Uh, dilithium uh, chamber to become disrupted and to go into overdrive. And so while he is in there, the ship blows up. And had yes. he not been faking Brainiac 5 and told the heroes to get out of the ship and go attack, they would have all died in a huge explosion. Now, we were talking about uh, Tyrock's um, uh, sound effects, sound effects yeah. in the previous issue. Here, as the ship explodes, <laughs> the fiery lines coming off spell out, holy cow, dig the fireworks. Yep, I love that. I love that so much. It's such a, a, a Jim Steranko moment from his run in Captain America to the point where Blank. you don't notice it at first. Yeah. And when you finally do look at it, you feel like the smartest kid in the world and you wonder who all saw it. But yeah, I love that explosion and I love the little, you know, just that little Easter egg from Grill that puts this story over the top from just eh to eh, eh, yeah. eh. You know, at this point, the Legion of Superheroes are really the stars of the show, even though they have to be in a book called Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> but this is a really bad story in the fact that it has to have Superboy in it because it's Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But they make some excuse for Superboy to have to fly off. And so he's narrating this entire story having never been there. So he's recounting it secondhand. <laughs> You know, it's even funnier if you hear him as Michael Scott from The Office trying to tell the other characters how to do their jobs. Yeah, it's, I don't know, At it's, this it's point, a weird part of the story. burning for air. It's, it's a weird I part like of the story. It. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I like it or not. I want Colossal Boy to put on some pants, but I like this one. I feel like it's one of those weird one-off stories 
that kind of really illustrates what you can do weird stuff with the Legion that you couldn't do with, say, the Justice League or the Teen Titans in a similar situation. You couldn't make this story work as the blatant Star Trek knockoff that it is. Uh, I, I can't remember. Is this Day of the Dove or is this Spectre of the Gun? Uh, in any case, nonetheless, it's, it's Plato's stepchildren. That's what it is. But no matter what it is, I like the way it puts together. And I really, really like that ending where Lorca's own stupidity dooms oh, sure. him. And the yeah. team is like, oh, well, that's a bummer. Oh, well, yeah, what are you going to do? They're coons. Yeah, pretty much. And Colossal Boy, put on some pants. Future Shock for Superboy. Published June 1976. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Superboy meets a familiar face in his own future. Our final story this week. Future Shock for Superboy. A very personal story about Superboy. Oh, Superboy Superboy travels to the future. And he meets $240 a sexy, worth of pudding. He oh, meets wait. a sexy, sexy lady, and he is instantly taken. He's like, who is this beautiful lady that I want to get to know? I hope I'm impressing her with my Superboy powers and stopping this mag train. <laughs> oh, you're so pretty. Wait a minute. Wildfire, oh, yeah. why are you attacking the woman of my dreams? <laughs> I'm turns in love out. with her, and she also seems to be a little bit in love with him. It turns out, though, Matthew, a big shocker. You know, first I'm like, oh, this is one of those uh, star effer uh, stories. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No. no, it's creepier than that. Oh, yeah? Um, this, this, in a lot of ways, is creepier than the Tyrock thing, because she's not in love with Superboy, but she does love Superboy the way one loves one's great, great, great something something grandfather oh this is one yes. of those kind of stories it's it's i'm my own grandpa no yeah this and, and some moral kent somewhere pornhub.com discovered a a new meme 50 years before the internet yeah before there was such a thing no the story is interesting because it really does seem like it's going to be a standard cute girl of the week story mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong, her outfit is amazing. Oh, no, she looks Once really again, good. Grell does something really, really awesome with the costuming. He's like, here's two and a half inches of fabric and some some little hooks. And it looks really great. But she's like, my name's uh, Elna. Elna, yeah. Which is not at all an anagram for your wife's last name. Your future wife's last name. Sorry, no. I, spoilers about the future. Ah. Yeah, no, it, it, no, it's it's definitely, she says, Laurel, Laurel Kent, and she's like, the reason why you probably think I'm so attractive is because I look like the woman you're going to marry. And I'm looking at the close-up of uh, uh, of Laurel, I'm like, Superman's going to marry Donna Troy? <laughs> no. This is 1975. There were two girl faces. There was the blonde one and the dark-haired one. So he's obviously going to marry Wonder Woman. No. no. Well, Sorry. I mean, my first, but yeah, my first thought was Donna Troy, and I'm like, nah, kind of looks like Wonder Woman, but no way does it look like either Lana Lang or Lois Lane, and uh, and so I'm just like, huh. I guess that's if what happens when you go off one model for every single person. If you look at Lois's solo stories about this time, that is in fact what Lois looked like at this point. This is right about the time of I Am Curious Black and. The story where she decides she's no longer Superman's girlfriend 
and the story where she fills in for Wonder Woman somehow for an episode and learns karate. I'm telling you, so, Super Superman's going to marry Donna Troy. He's got a type. He's definitely got a type because, honestly, this is Superboy when he's 16 or 17 from the year 1966. He does not meet and marry uh, yeah. Lois until so, he's in his late 30s or mid-30s, so yeah, 20 until, years uh, before he meets the woman that he loves. Yeah, um, no, so here's a really weird question, and I know we keep going over this because this is where Superboy is in the past, mm -hmm. right, in his, in his present time of Superboy, and he's like, I'm going to my monthly meeting of the Legion of Superheroes. And a little girl's sticking her head out the car window, and she's like, look up there, Daddy. Look, it's Superboy. Superboy, faster than a saber jet. And it's like, okay, that's either a really lame reference or a really spot-on reference because the saber jet was the jet that you see in all of the newsreel and photographs of the Korean War, which was in the 1950s, right? So for them to say the Sabre jet, and at the time it was a fast jet, but even by 1953, it was a jet that was kind of outdated. So this... again, they then also mentioned in this story is uh, a, a, a quote about something in our time of, you know, 1976 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, so our, is the editor referencing our time to the reader, meaning, hey, reader, it's our time, you know, the present. Mm-hmm. And is Superboy then still in 1953 in Smallville, or are they implying that Smallville is in the 1970s? And uh, your brain starts to hurt when you try to figure out the time travel aspect and the fact that it's a thousand years. in. A, it says something about the thousand years in the future from our present. Right. 2176. Superboy, the rule of thumb that I always read sorry. was, the rule of thumb that I always read was that Superboy was 10 years in the past. So at this point in time, Superboy is going to be at some point in the early to mid 60s. Okay. It's still an outdated. That makes that, that jet reference totally outdated then. And well, not yeah, but you have to remember this is a book that was written in 1976 with the intention that that be a really, really cool reference. So comic books. No, if it was much, 10 years ago, they'd probably be talking about whatever the big jet was during the, uh, the startup of the uh, Vietnam War. No, I'm, I'm telling you right now that they think that that's a good reference for 1976. Oh, oh, okay. I believe that these people are just not aware of that sort of thing. Maybe. And you're not going to do homework on that. You know, you're okay. Jim Shooter. You're 17. You're 25, however old you are. Okay. I don't know. A couple of other uh, news bits from this, this, these two issues this week. Mm -hmm. uh, from Superboy 216, when they're talking about uh, the satellite falling and the, the jewels inside, we didn't get that to that gimmick of the story where it's all radioactive, the jewels have become radioactive. There was a real concern that satellites going up, re-entering the atmosphere, would have nuclear material on them. In fact, one of the bigger cases of that was Cosmos 954, which was a Soviet-era nuclear satellite that did crash over uh, Canada. And originally they said, no, no radioactive materials, nothing to worry about, when in fact a lot of radioactive material escaped from, from that satellite. Uh, I think one of the very first $6 million man episodes featured a probe that thought it had come back from Venus, but its radioactive uh, <laughs> isotopes got it all confused and it thought it was still on Venus or something. I forget what that story was. The Venus probe. Yes, I remember that. And then, of course, Skylab crashing in, what, 77? That's a, still a year away. But, you know, all throughout the late 60s, early 70s, this idea that we are sending up nuclear-powered satellites and what happens when they come down was a big deal. In fact, not even too long ago, one of the 
satellites that was going out to Uranus or Jupiter or whatever had to do a slingshot around Earth to pick up speed, and it had a nuclear payload, and there was a big to-do about whether they should allow that satellite to swing around Earth, because if it went off course and crashed into the planet, oh my gosh, a big nuclear disaster. So that's one thing that I wanted to point out. Uh, Another thing happened in the Kund story where there was an editor's balloon that I thought was really, really weird. It it basically says, um, let me see if I can, if I can find it. Oh no, it's in, it's actually here. Future shock for Superboy, uh, where the editor's box says a school for candidates. I introduced in adventure three seventy one. Now is is that a printing error? Because there's actually kind of a little line between A and school for candidates. I didn't know if that was supposed to be an offset or something, or if this is really Jim Shooter going, hey, I'm the one that created the school for the candidates in the basement of the Legion of Superheroes. Because that seemed really inappropriate if it says the school that I created or I introduced. As someone who reads a lot of comics, Mm -hmm. I think... I can tell you what that is. I think that this is before the days of any type of digital fix. I believe that that is a new caption that's been glued or taped over an old caption. Ah, okay. But still somehow the corners of that, pa- that, that or second piece are actually showing up in the reproduction because it's on both sides. And I think probably that said something else like a school for legionnaires or something to that okay. nature. And they made a correction, but the correction somehow still showed up in the reproduction when they actually... Yeah, uh, I I read that and I was like, wow, someone's got an ego on him. Well, it is Jim Shooter. I mean, yes, but at the same time, it seemed like somebody would have caught that and said, "Ah, ah, ah." it's we are DC Comics, not I. There is no I in DC. Uh, The final one that I noted is in the Super Talk section of this issue where there is a reference from one of the, I think it's from Tim Rice from Manchester, New Hampshire, who says that he was reading the new Karate Kid book, and he was wondering if these stories actually take place in the future of the Legion or not, and they do say, oh, no, it takes place in the future, and uh, boy, are you guys going to get ready for some Karate Kid action, which makes me ask, Matthew, are we going to check out these these Karate Kid books? Well, the answer, as with anything you ask me, is yes and also no. No, damn it. We are going to be covering Karate Kid issues, which specifically feature a Legion. And I'm not even saying the Legion, and we'll get to that in a few episodes as well. But most of the Karate Kid issues actually take place in the 70s without any real reference to the 30th century. So Mm. as with some of the stories that we have been skipping, for instance, before Superboy 216, Superman 295 features a Legion cameo, but has no real Legion content. We're going to treat the Karate Kid issues that have the Legion as important for this for these purposes, things that we definitely absolutely want to review. Then we can name check the rest as we go. I want to say that about 20% of the Karate Kid issues are going to make it into Legion Clubhouse. Yeah, so it looks like right now in the foreseeable future, maybe in the next mm-hmm. three months, we'll take a look at Karate Kid number one and Karate Kid number six um, mm-hmm. because of, of what Matthew said. But what's interesting is we're not going to be looking at Karate Kid number one for several more episodes, which I know may seem kind of weird because at this point, Karate Kid number one is actually on the stands yep. even as of this recording. So kind of, you know, hey, time travel, look over there. 
<laughs> and in the stories, they do actually reference the fact that Karate Kid series takes place in the future of the Legion books that are coming out the same month. And I went through and I actually had to cross-reference several different chronological Legion stories to get an idea of where they should fall. Oh, uh, okay. And this is where they should theoretically fall as chronologically as we can do. Oh, man. I'm sure there's going to be some Legion person out there who's going to go, no, no, that's all wrong. You know, that's the thing. It's the history of a made-up future. And if you believe that you and that we're doing it in a different order and we're doing it wrong, that is your right. Hey, you know... You know who the real heroes are, Matthew. It's not you and Who's I that? for doing this show. It's all of our listeners out there. And I think yeah. they deserve the let's, biggest round of applause. Let's, let's give them hey, a round of applause. You guys yeah. applaud yourselves wherever you, you are on the you. bus, in Pla the train, staying clap at home in self-isolation. Clap, clap. Let's hear you clap. clap you are yourself. the real heroes of the Legion right. Clubhouse. In the year 3335, you'll be able to get a free lunch at McDonald's if you just show your spoilerite name badge and blazer. And providing you also work there and it's your lunch break. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you all for coming and hanging out with us again this week. Matthew, what did we learn? We learned that a space station put up in 2001 can still be in the air in 3076. We also learned that you can have problematic stories that are still really important, but are still really problematic. And we also learned that Tyrock is the only one who ever pulled off Robin's boots. Thank you for joining us this week. We will be back next time. And until then, I'm... I don't even know who I am this week. And I'm my own grandpa. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.